everyone. Surprise! We have a bonus episode for you today. We thought this would be a great way to kick off the fact that Real Chills is making a Patreon. Well, we made it already. Uh, the link is in the bio and we're going to be continuing to do more bonus content, sort of like this and in other ways as well in the future. Uh, some things we're going to be trying is we're going to continue having just like a game segment for our guests and much more. So definitely check it out. For this episode, we talk a little bit more about comedy. Um, David was with David Race. He was a comedian in Philly, just like I am. And um, just a trigger warning, we do talk about a car accident. So it's a little grisly. If you're not into that, just skip uh, when we get talking about that. But other than that, enjoy the episode. You're listening to Real Chills with Mike Gats. Real scary. Real silly. Real stories. So I'm going to throw you, throw you a bonus comedy cabaret story. So when I when <laughs> yeah. I was when I was uh, coming up as a stand up in Philadelphia, my act was actually even darker than it is now, and it's pretty dark now. But it was it was darker then. It was less refined and just more raw dark. Mm-hmm. Th- that club was was very wholesome, you know, mm-hmm. and it, like and it, it was amazing to me. I was getting as much stage time as I was there because like I really wasn't a great fit to this place, you know. And they had uh, like a hierarchical system there where they would they start you off when you first got in as like a guest spot and then you'd become like the MC mm-hmm. and then the feature act, you know, you'd move your way up their corporate ladder per se, you know? And one of the things, one of the roles they, they made you do early on, if I recall, was you were like a guest spot as long as you also agreed to be that night's seater of people. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I remember when I first got in there, like I would, you get told I'm performing in Cherry Hill this weekend or something. And I had to be there, like say the show was at eight. I had to be there at six 30 because I'm going to be the, basically the mater D I'm going to, you know, the people are going to come in the reservations. And I'm going to be the guy at the, at the, at right. the stand and uh, hello, Mr. Johnson. Yes. Party of four. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I'm going to take them to their table and seat them. And then, and then like the first comic that I'm going to end up seeing is going to be me un- unexpectedly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh-huh. um, and it was such a disaster for me. I hated it because I hated mm-hmm. the idea of the audience meeting me and me having to be mm-hmm. gracious to them and me having to have like normal humanity and the normal like pleasantries and right this right. way, sir, kind of behaviors only to then be the darkest man they ever have seen. <laughs> You know, um, you know, just after that, Um, (laughs) and and, and I, and I just remember like, I felt it was so corrupting to what my persona was. (laughs) I remember like, I I was like, I cannot do this, you know? And then they, the, the club finally relented and stopped making me seat people, but they tried to move me to MC. And -hmm. I was like, I can't do that either. Right. You have to be nice and ingratiating. And where are you from, sir? And, you know, it's your, oh, it's your birthday. Happy anniversary to this one. And, yeah. you know, and I, I couldn't do that and marry it with whatever jokes I actually had written, you know? Mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. like, this is unacceptable. You know, like I, I basically I refused every one of the steps on their ladder, you know, and um, I insisted you plug me straight up to feature. Like I, uh, I can't be bothered with any of the lower level things wow. because they, because all those things corrupted what my persona was. It needed to be, here's this man, David Race, boom. And he gets yeah. to come on and it's intense. It's dark. It's dark. Thanks. Good night. Bam. And I leave again. You never get to know 
this pleasanter guy who had to seat you or this right. happier guy that did your anniversary announcement and then brought on the next guy. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I, yeah. I, I could just be in my own little compartment, you know, mm-hmm. of, of insane and he's gone. Yeah. And the other thing that was really corrupting to me was, <laughs> this was really messed up. I remember that for a lot of time that I was there, I was a guest spot and I'd be the first guy on or whatever. And, and, and there, the the music that they would play to bring me on stage because it was like mm-hmm. it was like they're early in the show like music for bringing on comics was the curly shuffle <laughs> you know hey mo hey mo you know, i think uh, that to me because yeah. i write dark jokes too the thought of you just coming out I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I know this isn't what you joke about but coming out just being like so abortion right after that yeah, yeah, is yeah, so yeah, funny yeah. to I, me i just remember like right. i come on stage <laughs> to the curly shuffle and the most <laughs> the most opposite of the curly shuffle comic was now here you know yeah it, like you couldn't you couldn't deliberately have gone out of your way to pick a less appropriate choice of music right for this comic you know right and did and, you tell them about genesis yet maybe they didn't know <laughs> no they, <laughs> i didn't talk about that at that time but um but yeah so that was that was weird and here's an, a ghost thing i'm just remember you got me you got me on a philly track now yeah. When I worked at MMR, I mostly did late night, you know, shifts at, at WMMR. And at the time, our studios were right by the Liberty Bell. Uh, what, is that, what is that? Fifth and Market? What, what the hell is that? Yeah, would that be? I'm bad at directions. Yeah, it was like right, you know, right, right where the Liberty there. Bell is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I forget what they called that plaza, you know. Liberty Plaza makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I, don't, I think I that's what it was. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah. we, you know, we were in a building right on. You know, I mean, there. Like, so next to, you know, I'd be sitting at the console doing my show, and it's late, late at night, and next to me is a window, and I'm looking out at Liberty Bell. It's it's a hundred yards out my window. I could see it, and I didn't know this because I wasn't that into the paranormal stuff at the time. I didn't know this, but since then, I've come to learn that that part of Philadelphia is extremely haunted. Oh, yeah. And there's yeah. loads of stories of like people seeing like Ben Franklin walking by them on the streets and, you yeah. know, the Revolutionary War kind of stuff goes on there. Mm-hmm. And numerous incidents right around there where people are just walking down the street and like uh, a guy in 1700s garb walks by them. Like it's like, you know, they take a double take. And I didn't know this at the time, but that would all have been going on right out my window where I'm sitting there playing Van Halen songs and, and <laughs> you know, and, and like literally just over my shoulder, any moment I could have looked and seen two guys walk by in revolutionary war outfits, you and know, a ghost. Yeah. yeah. And, and had I known that all of that was going on in that area and it was like literally out my window and that every night when I showed up for work at 11 o'clock at night or whatever, and I came walking up from the underground garage and come, came walking up the street there, I could walk by any of these things. Every time I left there, I could walk, had I known any of that stuff, I'd have quit immediately. There was, right. would have been no chance of me being. <laughs> That's a, horrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole idea that I stayed there like three years being, you know, not knowing at any second these things could happen to me. I feel insane. like in Philly, you have to accept that most of it is probably haunted, honestly, because it's such an old city. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know that I've heard of another city. I guess Boston, maybe. I don't know if I've heard of stories from another city where revolutionary guys walk by you. No, Gettysburg, probably, if you want to count a smaller 
city. Yeah, I mean that, but that's you know, yeah, that is that's not as intense to me. Like you're 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 going to work. You're walking. I'm coming up from the garage right. to go do my radio <laughs> show. I should not be walking by ghosts on the way. You know, well, another one, New Orleans, they have actually, because I, I went a couple years ago, when they have apartments for rent, it'll say for rent, not haunted. Because it's yeah, so. That's, that's great. The uh, whole, anyway, I'm sorry. Would, I'm trying remind to just me, Remind me never to go to New Orleans. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that was, that was like, like, I didn't know as I sat there doing that show every night, what was going on right, right over my shoulder out this window and that it, that any wrong moment did turn by me to the left could have shown me something terrifying. You know, you I, might have I, walked past a ghost, honestly, without but, but I never it. saw anything, but let, but, but had I even, let's say I, I knew about this at the time and let's say I still kept the job. Right. Well, pretty unlikely. I probably would have quit, but let's say I knew about it and I still decided to show up for work here every night. I probably would have been so distracted looking over my right. shoulder out the window all the time, trying to catch like what, you know, I probably would have just kind of staring the whole time, <laughs> yeah. you know, to see what I happen to see that <laughs> records would, you know, songs would have been like ending without the next one starting. Like would have, you would have heard like the end of life in the fast lane and nothing starts, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. and then like, like a few minutes later, someone, went, Oh, the Rolling Stones. Oh, like cause it would have, the disc jockey would have kind of frantic like, Oh Jesus, you know, like, <laughs> That would have been happening all night long. Songs would have been ending with 10 second gaps before I started the next one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'd have been staring out the window the whole time. It's funny because I feel like a lot of people that are super in, into the paranormal are like so excited about it. They're kind of like brave or maybe even brash. But like, I'm kind of like, I subscribe to the same ideals that you have of like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> like I, we can talk about it. Yeah, I've had, <laughs> I've had people on my show ask me, you know, paranormal guys have asked me about like where I go looking for Bigfoot or if I, if I have I checked out? Like, they'll be like, you ever go up to a uh, blah, 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 and check out blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, no, no. I go, they're like, where do you go? I go, I hunt for Bigfoot from my couch. I go, right. I go, the next time I'm investigating a Bigfoot sighting, there better be a Ritz Carlton in the woods. You know, <laughs> that I, can, yeah. I can stay on the balcony and with a pair of right. binoculars, I'll watch, I'll check it out from there. You know, like, yeah. just, just, I, I'm not, I'm not a roughing it guy. Let Matt Moneymaker mm -hmm. do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. In, well, fact, Matt, in fact, Matt Moneymaker asked me one time to come with him to a personal wow. location, a private location that he has in California where he has incidents all the time. And he asked me to, to come down and meet him and we'll get in his car and we'll just go just me and him. And he, he'll he'll guarantee me I'll have an incident that night. And now people that, that are in our business, that are interested mm -hmm. in these things would usually jump at these opportunities. That would, be, that would be like Zach Baggins calling you today and going, hey, you want to just come with me, just me and you. I know a place in Nevada here right near my house in Vegas that I always see something. I'd probably do just it. Just get, <laughs> get, get, get in the car, be here in a few hours, and I'll, I'll take you with me, and we'll spend all Friday night, and you'll see something. If Zach Baggins called you and said that, I'm pretty sure you're going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's within reason for you to get there, you know. Yeah. Like hypothetically, you in that case, you live, you know, within driving distance of it. Right. Okay. <laughs> I do live within driving distance of Matt Moneymaker. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. And he did ask me to go spend all Friday night with him. And I told him no. <laughs> I told him no. I told him you go by yourself. Was he surprised? Him. What did he say? Was I, I he think like, so. come on, I think dude. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He brought it up a few times. And I and I and I and I was like, no, you know, go let me know what happens. I go, you know, report back to me before the end of the weekend. What happened? I, you know. <laughs> You'll collect the data. Yeah, You're I not mean, going that, out there. And I, I even I'll admit that that it's a weird choice I made, but I can't yeah. bring myself to be sitting in a guy's SUV in the middle of the woods where he's guaranteeing me we're going to have a Bigfoot come up to that car. I don't want to be there for that. No, <laughs> 
I get that. I'm more scared of, I think, Bigfoot than ghosts. I don't think ghosts are scary. I think Bigfoot's scary is where I land on all that. <laughs> yeah. So so the I turn down things that other people in, in our world accept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's smart, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking I'm looking to host, I'm looking to be the host of undirty jobs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, what? Why are you scoffing? <laughs> I was just laughing at the idea of that. You know? Like the, the, the dirty jobs guy's like diving in there. He's like in the sewer system. I'm looking for the job. Like you go in the sewer system. Tell me what happened out there. I'll report on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream. Except like, again, I think ghost hunting, I would be, I don't like the term ghost hunting. I think it's kind of like, I mean, investigating, I guess, but the dirty jobs guy is a great example. Like I saw him hunting for rats recently, like with the rat guys, like he's like under houses in LA, like, like, you know, looking to trap the rats, the rat problem. And I'm like, he's out of his mind. This guy I didn't is like, know he was still, I didn't know there were that many dirty jobs in the world that he's still doing it. I think they are just starting new ones up now, but like, this is like one I watched from say two years ago, but I watched right. it recently right. and, he, and he's crawling around like, like, you know, with the rats and the, the opossums and stuff. he's mm-hmm. out of his mind, this guy mm-hmm. out of his mind. Yeah, it's not worth it. I would never I agree. be. Never. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you should come back to Philly. Have you have you done comedy in Philly since you left? Not in a long time. I have since I left, but not in a long time. I would say the last time I was in Philly was probably 2005-ish. Wow. Because you, cause your family is upstate New York, not really. Well, now they're a little more scattered than that. Now they're Florida and, and Long Island, but but I grew up on Long Island. So like the, Island, the, the, right. the New York metro is where I sort of know the most people. I still have some friends in Philly, though. Com- mostly comic friends. Really? Okay. Yeah. Do you think I'd know any of them? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> John Kensel. Do you John know Kensel, John Kensel? I, I know well. Yeah, he's yeah. the best. John Kensel, <laughs> John Kensel is, is, you know, has a plays a significant role in how I ultimately end up doing stand-up because really uh, he was running their open mic when I first decided to, you know, try to really go for stand-up after I'd done radio all those years. And he was running their open mic and and I went and did like a, you know, say two or three of them. And he was the one that like kind of put forward the word to them. Like this guy's, this guy's pretty special. Like, 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 you know, we can start putting him in the real shows. I would say John, John cancel is probably the guy behind that. That's awesome. That's so funny that that's the one. I was like, like who, like comics that would be around when you were here. Yeah, and then he and, he came out to LA for a little while, and you know, like hung, hung around the LA sandbox for like there was like a six month period. That I remember him living out here. Yeah, like yeah, ten, like ten years ago, and yeah. I and, I, and I, I I got him booked on a couple of shows and did a couple of shows with him during that. That's awesome. In fact, on one of the shows I did with him, I th- I'm pretty sure it was with him. I hope he's going to be listening to this and he's going to know if it's true, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was with him. I don't think it was somebody else that we were driving home from a show in Orange County, California on a Saturday night. And all of a sudden there was a slow up in traffic. I could swear he was with me. There was a slow up in traffic on the highway, on the, on the, on the five freeway. And we're like, why is this sudden slow? Up? Like at 1230 at night coming home from a standup show, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then like the cars, cause the cars went from like 80 to like nothing, like, like right. one or two miles an hour. And and then as you went slowly forward more, you saw a human head next to you <gasps> on, the ground, on the ground. And you went a little no. further and a leg and a little further and an arm and another leg. And it was like he it was right outside our, the door. I'm pretty sure he was with me. And I and I it, we freaked out 
And I remember I got home and I like went online. This is like the internet was relatively infant at the time, but you were able to still find this kind of stuff out. And I went online and I found out that some guy like had jumped off the overpass into the traffic. Oh my And gosh. it had just happened right before we got there. Like we would have been involved in wow. the hitting because probably multiple cars hit this guy. And wow. we were probably 30 seconds from having been one of them. Oh, that's awful. And I remember, the, is... and I remember there wasn't enough ambient in my house to get me to sleep that night. Yeah, no, uh, no. And, and uh, yeah, so that, that there's your stand up in L.A. story. That, that's yeah. uh, that's uh, that's uh, some of the things you encounter as you drive home from stand up in L.A. But I'm pretty sure John Cancel and his friend were in the car with me when that happened. Yeah, I've heard L.A. stand up is is way different, like you mentioned. Um, I've heard that it's more for like writers, people who want to write. And then New York is like stand up central. Would you agree with that? No. No. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, I, I would say stand up in LA is different than New York completely because there's a lot less gigs and a lot less um, stage time and a lot less, you know, ability to sort of subway from this club to that club and, you know, cram in three spots in one night and things like that. It, that right. LA is hard to do that. But uh, I wouldn't say it's more for writers. I would say that uh, it, it's a combination of pure comics, comic actors, uh, actor actors who are comics mm -hmm. who are comics secondarily, right? Writers, yes, um, you know. But but uh, you know the way the the analogy that I use a lot, and I New York comics are really insulted when I say this, but fuck them. I'm from New York, so I'll get away with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a New York stand up, but I'm born and raised in New York, so I'm willing to attack them. Sure. L.A. is hardball and other places are softball. If you want to, if your goal is to play major league baseball and the keyword is baseball with a hard ball, Los Angeles is what leads to television and actual show business outcomes. Mm. If your goal is to play in a, an arena that isn't as likely to lead to those outcomes, that's the rest of the arenas. Got it. And I saw, um, and we'll wrap up soon, but I saw you did a late night spot, right? What was that like? That's that like was, one of my big lifetime goals, you know? It's actually one a day. zillion years ago, I was on Jimmy Kimmel, and um, it wasn't to do stand-up. They had me on playing different characters. I did, I was on several, I was, <laughs> really? on, I was on a bunch of different episodes, like two or three. And at one point, they called me in, it seemed like almost every day to do something. And they usually didn't use me, but they would, they kept calling me back into the point where I called my agent and complained. They're calling me in too often. And my agent was like, what are you, an idiot? Like, who cares? You, know, you, yeah, you get paid so anyway cool. whether they use you or not. You know? Yeah. I remember one time they called me in to, to play Jimmy uh, in, in some bit. <laughs> it, there was, it was some bit, and I had to play Jimmy in the bit. And I remember, like, Jimmy would get up from his chair behind the desk, and they'd swap me in behind the desk. So That's I'm like, so only the only comics you've ever met that has sat in Kimmel's chair. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I did a bunch of stuff, like, on there and sketches and things. Wow, that's all. That's so cool. Still, to this, like, I don't know. But most of it doesn't get used. Really, honestly, they call you in and they keep paying you, paying you, without using it. Really? So some of the sketches can get cut before. Uh, yeah, and yeah. You, you, yeah, it doesn't get used, and you get paid, and you still get, uh, you know, union wages, and you still get residuals. It's such a strange business. That's weird. Wow, yeah. TV business like so fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I remember it being annoying to me, though, because they kept like there was a sequence of time. I remember like over a week or two that I, I was in there. It seemed like every day. And I remember being like, oh, come on. I got to go there again. Like I was pissed right. off at my agent. Like, you're big, <laughs> like I don't want to go over there again. He was, and the agent was like, what is wrong with you? you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a job in L.A. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> 
that's so cool man i want to go to la now i, I visited a, a pre-pandemic i was planning on moving out there and then everything got in the way you know and i had a blast that whole week you know the sun every open i went to all the open mics i didn't do a lot of shows all the open mics were bucket mics mm-hmm. and i felt like i got pulled either first or second on every single one i got so lucky I didn't cheat. They didn't there know me. There are a lot of shows in LA. If you're willing to do, you know, all the open mics and the restaurant gigs and the bar gigs. And, and if you spread, spread it out to Orange County and Riverside County, and then right. you really, you're willing to get in the car and take, you know, hour and a half drives with your friends. There's a, there's a lot of shows to do. There's not a lot of club shows. There's not a lot of like high sure. caliber club shows the way New York has a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's LA is more scarce that way. Philly has been getting with better with clubs. There's two big ones right now, Helium and Punchline. And it would be great, like, if they booked you, like, the, they have a rotation. So if you get booked at one, like, say you get booked at Helium for a weekend, you're not going to get another weekend probably for at least two months, you know? So it's not as, like, consistent as, say, like, New York. But you can still get some good time. Yeah, I mean, a couple, maybe three, four times in my life, I've done, like, say, three shows in a night in L.A. But it's, yeah. it's, but it's in New York, that's common. And in LA, yeah. it's so hard to do because the physicality is different. You know, in New York, you get on the subway and you, you go from the show on 81st Street, the comic strip down to the one in the village in minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and in LA, to say to someone you did three shows tonight is literally like, yeah, I had a show in Burbank tonight. Uh, that was at 730. Then I did a, a nine o'clock spot in Culver City. So you, that, you're talking about you drove 45 minutes. Right. Okay? <laughs> and, then you, and then you did a 1020 in Hollywood, you drove like another, another 35 back to that one. And, wow. and you, you eventually made your way back home in this gigantic, you know, loop-de-loop, you know, in traffic, miles and miles of driving. It's like a miraculous mm-hmm. accomplishment. But would you say you prefer that than like, say, New York spots? Well, prefer the lack of stage time? No. Um, prefer the the lifestyle, Los Angeles, New York? Yeah, yeah. the lifestyle. Yeah, 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 lifestyle here is better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every day, 75 degrees and sunny, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a little fire. <laughs> um, every now and then it gets yeah. uh, and uh and you know and but it's no it, it, when you first especially when you first moved to la and la is new to you you wake up almost every day marveling at that you wake up right. almost every day like look at this place like, yeah you, you're, like you're looking out an apartment window and you're like seeing mountains and palm trees and like you're stepping out into perfect weather and maybe even audition at one o'clock today and you're your agent, you're, you're suddenly even agent. Like, like you didn't have an agent when you live somewhere yeah. else. You know? What was it like getting an agent? Yeah, all that, all that stuff is all really exciting. LA writes a passage, passage things. Those are all the, those are the things that you know are that you know ground you as LA. You're in LA situation. Now. This is who you are now. Yeah. 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 If Elvis and Buddy Holly are the Cain and Abel of rock and roll, Bruce Springsteen and Zachariah, Iggy Pop is Methuselah, of course, Neil Young is the wise prophet Ezekiel, what does that make Get in the Garage? Well, I think that makes Get in the Garage the one-stop shop for all know-how, history, countdowns, disagreements, agreements, and pretty much everything that you want you, you want to hear about music. Get in the Garage. Get in the Garage. A music program from the Wasted Robot Network. I was just learning to love. Well, that's 
awesome. Thank you so much for all this bonus content. <laughs> you can always tell in LA, by the way, if you're ever here on a weekday, mm-hmm. suppose you're in Hollywood on a weekday, Tuesday afternoon at you know, 12, one o'clock, you see any 25 year old man, woman in corporate looking clothing, guy in a suit and tie, woman dressed like in a very business, serious business attire. They are not actually people that work in, you know, they're going to work or going to, they're going to auditions. <laughs> um, LA, That's so no funny. one here dresses in any serious manner so really? if, if, if you see a guy walk by in a suit it's because he's auditioning for businessman in a commercial today he's the, it, there's no job in la that involves a suit it doesn't exist <laughs> did you do commercial auditions sure. yeah, yeah 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 that was the most the most auditions you get are commercial sure there were times oh, wow that's something where you can do tons in one day like there there were times that i had three commercial auditions in a day and there are times where I was in the car driving home from, say, the second one, when my agent called and said, uh, where are you now? And I'm like, Santa Monica. I'm like, you think you can make it over to Burbank by two? And I'm like, oh, come on. They're like, we got you in for a good one. Get right over there. You know, and like you suddenly like, you know, <laughs> you you have know something else to do. Turn, you know, yeah. To Burbank. yeah. Like th- that was that was a, that's a common thing in the audition world. here. That would make me feel so important. Like, I think I'd love that for a while, at least agents just calling me and being like, you got to be somewhere. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely happens. I mean, there are so many rites of passage in LA when you first move here. And the, the first time that you get um, a theatrical audition or booking that causes you to have to go on the studio a lot is very exciting. Like the first, yeah. the first time that you pull up to the gates of Paramount or wherever, Warner Brothers, and you say to the guard, David Race, and, and they look at a list and, you know, they see your name or they go, what are you here for? And you go, uh, I'm, I have an audition for blah, 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 or I'm booked in, you know, the such mm-hmm. and such show. And like they open a gate and you drive onto the lot at Warner Brothers or something. And, you know, suddenly you're in that fantasy Hollywood world of the hangers and, and golf carts going by. And, you know, yeah. and, and, and now, you, you know, you, you park and then you're walking but, you know, looking at stage 16, I'm looking for 23, where then you're walking amongst them, but oh, there's stage 23. And you, like, you're suddenly on the lot. Those are all important rites of passage. In the magic. Yeah. yeah. That's so, well, you've convinced me. I'm moving to LA. <laughs> there, are things that, there are things that don't happen in other places. Those are the exciting things that you really, t- you remember those for life. Those things. Right. Yeah. Just picturing it. Cause, you know, I, I feel like there's movies where they kind of show you that movie magic. I'm trying to think. I know there's a specific kids movie where it like cuts through the different stages, like the different movies, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like a chase scene or something. And it just seems like so much chaos and like so much fun at the same time. Yeah. It's weird. What the first times that you're on the lot for something like that, cause you're like in your head, you're like, I'm on the inside. Like I got behind the like, like like you, Uh you, you, you find yourself like wanting to hang around the lot longer than you're supposed to. Like you really, you were supposed to show up for an 1115 AM audition at, you know, at bungalow 26. And like, basically you should have auditioned and left. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then you've like that. The first few times you're on the lot, you kind of come out of bungalow 26 and you go 26 and you go, you know what? I'm going to go to the commissary and grab a, and grab a, <laughs> grab a coffee and a sandwich Stop by real because quick, you just, yeah. because you want to still be on the lot. You don't want yeah. to end this experience. So you, so you go to the commissary, like hoping that like, you know, uh, Nicholas Cage might be at the next table like, yeah. you know, because, because yeah. then you, then you go home from that first time and you call your family and you go, yeah, I just came from an audition. Nicholas Cage at the next table drinking coffee. You know, like, like it's like those, 
those the first times you do those things that when you're living here and you, you and you first do those things is really exciting. Yeah, that's so awesome, man. And, you know, normally in stand up, I feel like you you only hear the negatives. Like, I feel like it's so reinforced to me that it's hard to be famous or it's hard to be a stand up or, you know, you're going to have to struggle if you move to L.A. So it's kind of refreshing to me to hear like there's exciting things and there's goals you can have that aren't like become famous. You know, it's really cool. Yes. Just remember, no one in a suit in L.A. is working. They're going to an audition. <laughs> they're more likely to be men in black. Yeah, than... <laughs> you'll see like 24 year old guy walk by dressed as a milkman in, in Sherman Oaks. You're like, what the hell is this milkman walking? Like he's in an old school 1950s milkman with the hat and stuff. And you're like, wait a minute. There's got to be a milkman part. He's headed. You know, that's that's so L.A. is weird. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> You know, you, you show up and it's really weird when you're young and single here and you and you show up at auditions and like the you're in a waiting area with like 20 guys who are auditioning to play like, you know, the older brother to some teenage kid in, you know, a Kellogg's commercial or something. OK, but the in the waiting area with you is 26 girls in cheerleader outfits. And you're <laughs> like and you're like who are these like 24 year old cheerleaders everywhere? You know, the and then like yeah. you read the sign and it'll say like, you know, they're looking for like three cheerleaders for like some other commercial. And you're like, what a weird work day I've got. Wow. Like it's like, you're just hanging around the waiting room with all these cheerleader models. <laughs> I feel like I'd be so, I'd be like, Oh, I'd be eyeing up the competition more than seeing the other stuff, you know, like. Well, this I you're gonna call, you're gonna bring so many great stories out of me. I, I, this you me your longest episode ever. Um, I had an acting teacher, my only acting teacher, really great guy, and he always had great stories about the business. And one of them, it goes to what you just said. He was coming out of an audition one time. He knew he had a lot of very stiff competition for this thing, and he comes walking out of the audition room where into the waiting area where all the guys are waiting, and as he walks out to exit. He loudly just says to himself, so that all the other guys hear, man, I can't believe all that dancing. What are they, crazy? And he walks out like, like, like he can't believe all the dancing they made him do. Okay. He did it intentionally to cause like a dozen of the guys to go dancing and get up and leave. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, That's like, evil. Like 12 of the next 15 guys were like, I'm out of here. Like, like he suddenly, had three so suddenly had like three competitors. <laughs> LA, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. That's smart. Another uh, trick of the trade, I guess. Just yeah, pretend. It came funny. out complaining about all the dancing. <laughs> Did you have any challenging auditions? Any commercials where you were oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Most of them not, but I, mean, I, I honestly, I don't re, I can't remember right now offhand, offhand, like a really nightmarish commercial audition. Mm -hmm. I do remember I got a lot of hosting auditions. I would go uh, for hosting TV shows a lot. That's cool. And I remember this one kills me to this day. This one kills me. I was up to host a sports comedy show and they were asking me all these sports questions and I was you know, they want to ad libby. They want to see how, you, how well you can riff and ad lib about Reggie Jackson, whatever they're asking about. You know, they asked me like, you know, Wayne Gretzky, this, and, you know, you know, Philadelphia Flyers, that, and whatever. And I, you know, I had, you know, good witty, you know, the kind of stuff they were looking for. And then say the third, fourth question they asked me. And I remember it was a camera guy 
and and the casting director in the room with me. They're both you know looking at me. And the third or fourth question was, "What do you think of PBR?" And I froze, and I thought to myself for a few, for a few seconds, like it felt, it felt like minutes, but for a few seconds, I was like, "What are they talking about?" And I just looked at them straight on the camera, and I go, "Paps Blue Ribbon, the beer." <laughs> uh-huh. And and they were like, "No." professional bull riding and they were so disappointed that i didn't know that pbr is professional bull riding that it it like really obviously deflated the room instantly i blew the audition in that instant i blew it right there and you could you can feel like it was almost like they practically went next yeah well that's and and, you're better off not doing that to to this day i i i I, like i'm furious about that one because i can't believe that they thought that was important and i can't believe they they tried to like eliminate people on something so idiotic instead of like whether you were actually bringing it on the you know on the witty repartee and all that yeah they could have said it too they could have said professional they were definitely trying to like weed you out with that question it was insane. It was so insane. I remember uh, also uh, years ago, I got called in by the E Network to um, to be like one of the talking heads. Like E used to have like a, a lot of shows where like they had comedians and stuff like kind of, you know, commenting on whatever the heck documentary right. they were doing. You know, so so like suppose it was like you know it was like the Mick Jagger story or whatever. Like and they were they, they were I, don't, I honestly don't remember what it was for, but it was like whatever E used to do at the time. They were to have a lot of talking head kind of people commenting, you know, mm-hmm. and they called me in and I was with the head of casting and, and her assistant and they had given me in advance, like six sort of things they wanted me to have an idea, like they're going to talk about, like, you know, six sort of general, these basically the questions, you know, come in ready to answer these sort of questions. Sure. And I, I wrote at home, like some pretty funny ad libby sounding lines about these six things. And it was too prepared for them, I guess. Cause I remember when I came oh. in, I, I, I remember when I came in on camera and I just like, I remember them looking at each other, like he's too on, on the ready with it. Like he doesn't no. seem, he doesn't seem winging it, but I'm like, you idiots, you gave me the questions. Like I, I thought yeah. you want me ready. And they like, they actually wanted me like ready, but not ready. I don't know what the hell they wanted. And I remember like, that's another one that eats at me to this day. Yeah. Yeah, those are annoying because you thought you were doing the right thing or like it right. sounds like it was going well. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, thinking like an actor would think and acting classes would instill this in you. You want to know things. You want to know the script as much as you can. You want to know yeah. the character. The more you're off book, the more you know a script, the more you know the character, the better you're going to be at something. You know, you're right. going to do, do it you know, by nature. So here it was. I had the six, you know, themes of the questions that he wants me to talk about. Like, why wouldn't I go, all right, here's the funniest thing I could say about uh, that show. Here's a couple of really funny observations about Mick Jagger. And, you know, and then like when they go fire, I'm, I've got bullets, you know? Yeah. And, and they were like, it actually became clear to me a few minutes into it. They were kind of pissed that I had bullets. Yeah, that makes no sense. So that's something I struggle with with stand up. I feel like is I write a lot like I don't I'm not one of those like <clears throat> have a general premise and then get up there and find the joke. I'm more like write a bunch of punchlines, tell them all, half of them work, scrap them and then write more. But I feel like having a written joke sound natural is one of the hardest things for me to do. <laughs> I really struggle. Don't don't <laughs> my my main takeaway from that is don't 
don't be such a churner of your stuff. Like a, a lot of stuff you're going to try one or two times is still really good. It just, it isn't quite cooked up right yet. Yeah. Um, and then also the best stuff for me uh, on st- in stand-up usually is the stuff that I can, I'm really, I believe it. I hear it coming out mm-hmm. in my, in my voice and I, and I feel it and believe it and know that this is rich. I, I believe in this one. I know this is right. I know this I've is good. Had those, I almost yeah. don't care whether the audience knows it's good. I know this one's good. Yeah. You know, and it, it, those are usually the ones that you can be pretty sure, even if, even if you gave some shots on stage, you're still going to be able to make that one work. Yeah. So um, I'll ask you one more question. I, I keep trying to be like, when's the right time? But then I have a bunch of more questions for you. You mentioned you write darker stuff. Um, in that process, do you find like your your whatever you're going to write about in life, or do you pick stuff that's like a darker theme? No, 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 no. It's always my life. It's always okay. uh, it's always <laughs> uh, you know my my real my real take on things is often like a dark comment. My real experiences are often you know darker. Yeah. Things like I mean. I mean, this isn't a great example, but like, you know, like I talk about my adoption on stage, I was adopted and I talk about, you know, the first time I told my parents that I was adopted and they were like, yeah, I, was, I was adopted and that I found out my father's half, that my father was Latino yeah. and, uh, and I, and I'm like, so I'm half Latino and my, and my parent, my adopted parents were like, that is outrageous. That's unbelievable. We had specifically requested a white baby. <laughs> And I, and I was like, funny. well, then I hope you have the receipt. <laughs> they don't take back babies over 300 months old. Right. <laughs> with a mustache. You know, um, like those are darkish lines about yeah. my, about a real exchange I really had with my adoptive yeah. parents. You know? Yeah. I've it's been not, writing, it's, it's not like I'm deliberately go, like, let me think of the darkest things to my. It's the, my take on things is dark. Yeah, it's my favorite. So I, I'm sure you can tell I have sort of like a bubbly personality and I have some really dark jokes and that's the juxtaposition. It's almost like that song playing, like you said before your set. It, it brings me joy, the surprise that it, it gives these people because I'll do some cute jokes and then I'll just do this one about like my dad's diabetes and they're just like, oh. <laughs> and to me, that is almost, you know, I get laughs too, but that fills me with just as much joy, that reaction, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm crazy, but people ask me, people, you haven't asked me this, but people ask me who my favorite comic was of all the ones I've met in LA, who was my favorite to watch? Who do, who did I find the funniest? Cause I've seen everybody. I mean, I've been, right. on, I've been on shows with Chris Rock. I've been on shows with, you know, super famous people like that. Wow. And I've been on shows with, with, you know, much less famous people than that. Um, so pretty much everyone who's come through the stand-up comedy scene in LA for the last 20 years, I've probably been on a show with at some point. Right. Uh, you know, the, from from Adam Sandler to all the way down, you know. And, wow. and that said, people ask me, you know, who was my favorite? Who was the one that I would come back into the room? Because I don't watch most comedy. Right. Who, who was the one that I would come back into the room and go, I, I, I'm going to watch this guy set, or I really enjoy this guy the most? It's Brody Stevens. Really? Brody was my favorite all time. He was my favorite. And it was, and it was, I knew Brody well also over the 20 years that I was out here with him and same, you know, and, and, and uh, I knew him pretty quickly. He was one of the first people I remember meeting the first Mm -hmm. period of time when I first got here. And I'm so glad that it just turned out that he came on my podcast 
right before he died. Right. Um, and I told him to his face that you're the best comic I've ever seen. That's so awesome that you got to tell him that and you got to have him on your podcast. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I so told sweet. him, I said, I explained to him, I go, I'm not kidding. This is really what I think. And I remember like he got a, kind of a grin on his face and he started to like go with it somewhere. And I stopped him and I go, uh, I go, all right, all right. You don't, you don't get to, you know, relish this now for too long. I, you know, I, I've explained <laughs> right. this to you and that's it. Now right. we, now we go to our other guests. Thank you, brother. You know, you know <laughs> um, like, but, I, but I really did. Aww. I really did explain to him that he's the best I've ever seen. And then a few months later he was gone. I've seen him. I, I saw him at a comedy conference and he, he had this, he's another one, like how I talk about how I feel like I seem to written you could tell he had written stuff, but it seemed so off the cuff and crazy. He did this one thing where he played a couch like a drum. Have you seen that? Yep. that and it was just so funny and so <laughs> weird. Um, so, yeah, I agree. He's very funny. And, you know, he was great, different. <laughs> great, great ad libber. And yes, he had a lot of stock stuff that he had always that he did night in, night out. So, you know, yeah. you know, that, that was his like, go to stuff. But he, it was like designed to be like kind of to seem almost hacky, like the stuff he, he was doing, yeah. the, the prepared stuff. And yeah. it was designed that way. Um, like I, I, I just one of them offhand, I'm not going to do it justice, but I remember like he would always do something like, uh, I went to the Supercoats today, looked at the wall and asked for the Armenian, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. In his delivery, yeah. it's so ridiculous. Yeah. And then, well, he kept being like, I have jokes. You guys want to hear jokes? And then he would say something else completely random that was not jokes at all. <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah. He, he was so strong. And he was one of those guys that when I first got here, we were doing, you know, you know, off the grid shows like, you know, like, like at the, you know, a tavern in Santa Monica. And then I'd see him three nights later at, a, uh, you know, a, a coffee place in, in Silver Lake. I, we were on weird shows together like that all the time. Right. And, and even in those unusual environments, even when it wasn't even necessarily an audience that it, like a standup show was expected, like a standup, a standup show kind of broke out on this audience. They didn't know where it came from. You know? <laughs> uh, even in those environments, he was so dominant. He was such a, he was like a Godzilla in the room. He was, right. uh, he was, it was like a, like a hundred foot high person. Yeah. He commanded attention. Everyone, um, all eyes were on him. Yeah. Yeah. He had a, he had a, a magnetism on, yeah. a, on and off stage. He had it. Yeah. He had a real, that there's an intangible quality, um, uh, like a magnetic charisma kind of quality that's really, uh, I think, really important. If when you come across people that have that, it's it's it really it helps them in show business. And mm -hmm. Brody had that. He mm -hmm. had that. He had that something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, but I, I got I really just coincidentally got to tell him a lot of this stuff about himself on my podcast just months before. That's, that's really sweet. Honestly, like, that's so nice. I guess that's a lesson. All the comics that are listening, tell your friends that they're funny. Tell me I'm funny is where I'm, I'm taking this and making it selfish. So if I've accomplished one thing on your show today, it's probably your longest ever episode. Um, <laughs> it is it might be a two parter, but all right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it was so worth it. And I really, enjoyed this entire conversation comedy paranormal uh, i can't thank you enough for being on the show i'm a big fan of your podcast so thanks again it was really great thank you very much appreciate it enjoyed it thank you
website at realchillspodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at realchillspodcast. Do you know someone who should be on Real Chills? Is that person you? Go to realchillspodcast.com slash submit and tell us more. Special thanks to Valerie Jamamber McShane. Artwork by Libby Rondell. Music by Sam Williamson. Real Chills Podcast is produced by Meg Getz and Alyssa Traskowski.